2: Welcome to the show, our new show. It's not football-related, but we're going to talk about a different thing each month. This show, collaboration between us at the Square Ball and Andy's Man Club, whose slogan is, It's OK to Talk. Um, Andy's Man Club is a men's suicide prevention charity. They offer free-to-attend sessions, uh, peer-to-peer support groups across the UK and online, uh, with the aim of ending the stigma around mental health and helping men across the country get together through the power of conversation. The groups meet every Monday, 7 till 9, except Bank Holidays, you can find your nearest group by heading to andysmanclub.co.uk. So since we kicked off the show a few months ago, we've spoken about Christmas. We've done relationships and money. You, If you have seen the previous episodes, Ollie from Andy's Man Club was in. This time we're mixing things up a bit. This is a bit of a remix, isn't it? Dan here with Michael from The Square Ball. Joined this month by Adam, who did our 92-mile charity walk in May 2022, raising money for Andy's Man Club. You've got the T-shirt on, Adam. We're going to talk bollocks. Thanks thanks for having me. So no change there then, and so on and so forth. You know, write your own punchlines. But we are going to talk bollocks on this episode, and we might even save somebody's life while doing so. Hopefully. hopefully. Fingers crossed. So at the time of, of recording, we are heading into April, Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. So
0: I'm just going to hand the floor to you and say, explain why you're here. I'm just here to hopefully raise a bit of awareness To get blokes checking themselves again, there was a post I saw the other day, obviously testicular cancer is close to my heart, having suffered it and gone through treatment for it. But there was a stat the other day that the survival rate has dropped from 99% to 95%. Whether that's NHS backlogs, I think there's a bit of blokes not checking as well. So we just want to get it out there, get blokes checking, do their bit and then leave the NHS to do their bit. So you mentioned there, you suffered testicular
2: cancer, so I think it's important probably to document your story, not to scare people, because I think you hear the word cancer, and, I, and I'm sure we'll get to how you reacted to, to hearing those words yourself yeah, in, yeah. In, in due course as part of your story, but just to say, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the, the terrifying thing that everybody thinks it is, and men as fear,
0: we're fearful, aren't we, as creatures of, of hearing bad news, of going to doctors, notoriously, so. Yeah, that's the thing, like, it is bad news, but You've just got you just got to face up to it. Like it's it's not the nicest thing in the world, but that's what they're there for. They're there to help you. They're there to check you. If you find something, it's their job to find out what it is. And there's nothing embarrassing about it. Like it's the same for males. It's the same for females. Just check yourself. If you need to see a GP, go see a GP. That's what they're there for. Uh, I found my lump sort of fairly easy. I was in the bath, and that's where I'd read online. Uh, I'd had a bit of sort of nagging pain in the two or three weeks leading up to me actually finding my lump, but I generally didn't know what it was. I did a physical job and I just thought it was something to do with that. Where where was that pain located? It was in my left testicle and I found it sort of more uh, uncomfortable when I was getting in and out of a vehicle because it it was just like a, not not like a horrendous pain, just like a little sharp pain. And uh, I'd had a hot bath one night and I thought, I'll have a check. So I laid on the bed and where the pain was, I kept getting like a trigger, like a trigger feeling, like a trigger feeling of pain. So I kept feeling again and I couldn't tell if it was a lump or it wasn't because it just felt like the top of a marble, Do you know, like a a toy marble. It just felt like the top of a marble. But then uh, as I felt a bit more, I thought, yeah, that's definitely a lump. So I said to my wife, I was like, I've got a lump on my testicle. And she was like, oh, I'll be nothing, like just go to the doctors on Monday because it, it was on a Friday I found it so I waited the weekend but it was a weird feeling over the weekend because I kind of thought feels a bit different this like got a bit of a heavy feeling in my stomach and the sensation is almost like do you know when you've been punched in the stomach and it's just like you've got a little bit of it after it felt like that so I started to wind myself up a little bit more and by the time it comes to go to the doctors on the Monday he checked me over and he just said, uh, Is it painful to touch? He said, There is something there, but is it painful to the touch? And I said, It is. And he said, Well, it's not cancer then. And he says, If it was cancer, it wouldn't be painful. And he gave me some antibiotics and he just said, You've got an inflammation. There's a, there's a, it's basically going into details, but like the valve that goes into the back of your testicle. He said, You've got an inflammation in the valve. Take these antibiotics. You'll be fine. Come back and see me in two weeks. So, of course, two weeks went past, but I'd started to notice a slight hardening of the testicle. It had become more sort of like a firmer texture. And he said, Oh, the antibiotics aren't working? Try these ones. They're a bit more powerful. Take these. Come back and see me in two weeks. So I took the antibiotics, experienced the birth of my youngest daughter in the meantime, and had a midwife telling me off for complaining that I had <laughs> abdominal pains after my wife had just given birth. But then... I finished that course of antibiotics. I saw a different GP and he just said to me, we'll send you for further examinations, but I can't get you in for an ultrasound until it was six weeks after. Ultrasound is the biggest spotter of tumours in testicles. So I carried on as I was and I was due for a vasectomy anyway before the Christmas. So I had the vasectomy two days before Christmas and then without wanting to scare people, I had the normal swelling. I don't know if any of you have had vasectomy, but no, yeah. you get the normal swelling afterwards. But mine was massive. It was like the size like of an apple. Gonads. Yes. Uh, it a was like borderline wheelbarrow job. But uh, it grew up anyway. And I sort of, I give it four or five days because my brother-in-law, he'd had a vasectomy about six months before me. And he said, look, it happens, it goes down. Mine didn't. It was massive, like huge so I was waiting for a pre-operation for a hernia anyway. And I went for my pre-op and the hernia doctor said to me, it says something on your notes about you've booked in for an ultrasound on your testicle. And I said, oh yeah, I'm due back next week. And he said, do you mind if I have a look? And I said, no, no, of course, fine. Drop my trousers, as I'd become accustomed to <laughs> in the doctors. This is a thing that like, it's embarrassing, but it's not embarrassing at the same time. I was going to say, this is the job. They see knackers nack- <laughs> all the time. Is it? It's just yeah. to part of your body isn't it. This is it. This is it. Anyway, as soon as I dropped my trousers, his reaction shocked me because he he said, whoa, that needs to come off. I'm telling you now, that needs to come off. Of course, panic sets in then. A week later, go for my ultrasound, laid there looking at the screen. After six months of looking at scans for my little daughter, I'm there getting gel, not not on my belly. And you see it, you can clearly see the lesion inside my testicle. Uh, it was four and a half millimeters by that point. Uh, four and a half centimeters, sorry, the actual tumor, and uh, within about two days, that was it. So what's that? That's like inch, inch and a half, isn't it? Something. Yeah, like that. it yeah. was. It was, bit, and that was just like the nucleus of the tumor. So it was quite. It was quite large, and it was quite advanced. So it was about a week later. I got called back up to the hospital to see a urologist, a specialist, and he referred me to a different hospital, which deals specifically with that but in that meantime he looked at my testicle and he'd examined it and he said to me that definitely needs to come off 999 times out of a thousand it's cancerous i walked out with my little uh blood slip tumor markers and i just felt like my whole world was caving in it was like nah it, it's not why me but it's this can't be happening this mm-hmm. this this can't be real and I told my wife and cuz she was waiting for me and we were both just sort of she was upset I was numb I went and gave blood samples and then I just I waited for a phone call from a surgeon to say you need to come back next week we're going to take it off and then it'll go away for histology report and everything and then I got to know the full extent of it 2 weeks later but that was the worst part that was the, the worst part sorry was from finding out it was More than likely cancer to actually finding out it was cancer because that period in between, you don't know how serious it is. You don't know where it spread to. You don't know how bad it is. I felt fine within myself, but in hindsight, looking back, I slept all the time. I'd not lost any weight or anything. I was, I mean, you can tell I hadn't lost any weight, but I was just me, but I was just really, really, really tired all the time. And my wife pointed out to me that I'd had a cough for about six or seven weeks. So, of course, fast forward, sit in the room, you get told you've got cancer. And I was sat there expecting, are you going to have one cycle of chemo or two cycles of chemo? And he basically said to me, it's making its way towards your lungs. This is really serious. Like, we need to get you in for chemotherapy straight away. And within 10 days, I was starting chemo. And what the actual cough was, was the cancer was trying to attack my lungs. It it spread up my lymphatic system from my testicles up towards my lungs. And I had two large growths, one in my abdomen and one in my chest right next to my heart as well, which were, I don't know if there were actual tumours, but they were big build-ups in my lymphatic system. And obviously that's when it's like, right, I need to do this now. And it sounds really dramatic. It sounds very understated, this, but chemotherapy was a breeze, an absolute breeze. Like I had a bit of sickness, but... You just ploughed on through it. My wife kept the house clean. The kids behaved. I mean, to be fair, I had, my oldest kids, they could fend for themselves, but my two youngest kids, uh, one of them was a baby, one of them was a toddler. So they just slept all the time. And I slept with them on the settee. So chemotherapy was an absolute breeze. What What's the time frame between you being in the bath and having chemotherapy? It's quite a long time. That's where my a lot of the spread happened. Uh, I found my lump on the 4th of November 2016 and I didn't actually have my testicle taken off until the 2nd of February 2017 so that three month window it, there was quite a lot of damage done there was quite a lot of spread done and in all fairness to my GP he did say he apologised to me and he said I'm really sorry I should have got you in for an ultrasound on that first appointment just to rule it out he said like hindsight has told me now you should have been straight up to the hospital mm-hmm. scan scan no two ways about it because until you look inside you can't find anything you can feel and rummage around as much as you want but until you actually look inside that's when you find everything out it's that tough balance you have with doctors isn't it because there's times when you think
3: no I know I know my own body here I yeah. I, won't, I, I don't feel like this is right but then if someone t- comes along and tells you no it's probably this you go and I guess in that, in your case as well it's almost the news you want to hear as well isn't it because you, yeah. you, you, yeah. you find a lump and then he yeah. just says some antibiotics will clear this up and you go
0: fucking get in yeah no definitely definitely <laughs> It's not until I started speaking to my uh, consultant, uh, a professor, Doctor. But he's a professional urologist. He's obviously a, a senior urologist, and he said, "I'm glad, to- I'm
2: glad he's professional."
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, want, I want, would not want the amateurs doing this. But he he, he basically, because he's dealt with it, yeah. he knew. It. He said to me, "If you ever had a bad back," and I said, "Yeah, I had one end of August last year," and he went, "That's when it started." Like he knew straight away, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he opened so many, like he opened so many avenues. Like he, he basically said. Did you have any? Did you have any like heavy stomach feeling? And I was like, oh yeah. And it was nice to sort of. I felt reassured by talking to him. He was real sort of blase about it because like I walked the first time I met him, I'd, I'd actually not got my original diagnosis from him. It was from one of his registrars, and I don't know if you know like junior doctors or registrars. They're to the book, they're straight to the point, and it's quite brutal. Yeah. So uh, me and my wife walked out the room, and we was like, oh no, <laughs> oh, no. But then when I spoke to doctor, but he was like. Yeah, you're going to be fine. We're going to blast you with chemo. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Just do chemo. If you're sick, I'll give you some anti-sickness tablets and all this lot. And to be fair, I did that and I was absolutely fine. And he'd ring me and just ask me how I was feeling. You have to have, uh, if anyone has had chemotherapy, you, uh, you know, but you have to have like blood marker checks and stuff to make sure you've got enough platelets and white blood cells and all that lot. So I did all that and I was fine, flaked out a couple of times having cannulas put in, and the nurses had absolutely abused me. But I prefer that. I prefer that sort of banter side to it. But then finished chemo, and uh, this is when it starts to unravel because I set the end of my journey on my last day of chemo. Like, once I've had that chemotherapy, that's it. i got regular updates throughout. Your blood markers are back in range. The cancer's dead. Like, it, the chemo is doing its job. This is brilliant. This is absolutely amazing. Finished chemo, go to see uh, doctor, Butt 10 days later, uh, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The, the good news is the cancer's gone. You've got no active cancer left in your body. Brilliant. Amazing. The bad news is you've beat odds of 20,000 to one. You're going to need a double RPLND surgery, which is the lymph nodes because the buildups, they can't get rid of it. So once it's built up, even though it's dead, they have to remove it. Right. Brilliant. He says, we'll give you sort of five, six weeks to re- recover from chemotherapy, get your blood strength back up. You'll be in for surgery sort of end of June, beginning of July. That's it. My journey to Leeds and St. James's uh, Hospital, brilliant. Dr. Paul, Dr. Milton, brilliant guys. Can't speak highly enough of him. First meeting with Dr. Paul, did not go to plan at all because one of the growths was so close to my heart. It was really, really, really tricky operation to remove. So we're sat in his office and bless him, he's not the most articulate bloke. So he's trying to get across the surgery and his way of saying, we may as well leave the one in your heart because it's benign, near your heart, because it's benign. I'm asking him, am I incurable? Am I terminal? And he's like, oh no, 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 no. I'm sat on his desk having a panic attack. My wife's laid on the uh, bed crying her eyes out, thinking this is it. He actually rang us the next day and he was like, he says, I'm not very good with words. And I want to apologize for distressing you both. <laughs> because it was, it was like the way he was talking, he was like, Yeah, we're just gonna to have to leave it and like run the risk or whatever. And I was like, You're not running a risk with me. I want it out. Yeah. And my wife was like, If you're taking one, you're taking both. Like <laughs> so, i never I never met Dr. Milton, but he's a great guy, absolutely love a guy. Man United season ticket holder. So, of course, you trusted him with a scalpel. Yes. So, of course, I'm sat there with my lead shirt on and he's giving me dogs abuse. But uh, we got all sorted. I met Dr. Milton on the morning of the operation. And I just go back to the part where I said that I'd beat odds of 20,000 to one to need an operation. Dr. Milton made me sign my pre operation forms and he said, There is a 200 to one chance you might not make it. <laughs> so I'm there crying <laughs> my eyes out, six <laughs> foot four. Eighteen stone, crying my eyes out, and he said to me, uh, "See, I I respond to people who are straight to the point, who don't mess about, who don't try and sugarcoat anything." And he said, "What are you crying for?" And I said, "I'm scared. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make it." And he said, "Well, don't cry because you won't know anything about it." And I thought, "Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right." But uh, surgery went. Uh, I remember falling asleep at nine o'clock in the morning. Woke up at half past seven at night in the most pain you've ever felt in your life because to remove from your chest they have to go through your back so they have to go through your ribs abdomen so I've got 48 staples up my abdomen and then I've got about 28 staples sort of just under my shoulder on my back and I don't know if you've ever had like bruised ribs or anything like that when you're being sick from anesthetic oh Christ (laughs) yeah it got to the point where I had a V pillow under my armpit and I was just wrenching and shouting and screaming at the same time. Not the most, uh, not the most beautiful, uh, of experiences, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. A week in St. James's, including infections and visits off my mates where I'd, uh, soiled my own shorts two minutes before they turned up. So I never get ripped for that anymore. Like my mates <laughs> never, ever, ever mention it, but, I got the best care. I got the best care. And uh, I thought that was that. Like I'd had my surgeries. I waited. I had my post-operation checks. Everything was fine. Everything's healing nicely. I get the letter through from the surgeons at Leeds. Yep, yeah, it's all gone. Like we've removed all the residue. Brilliant. Like you've been amazing. First CT scan, turning up, skipping into it. Yeah. Do the CT scan, skip out. 10 days later, I get a phone call. You've got another growth in your chest. Ah, oh, yeah, we're going to have to get you in for surgery in the new year. Okay, brilliant. March twenty eighteen. I'm back at St James's, Doctor Milton. I'm getting wheeled down to the to surgery. See Doctor Paul. Hello, what are you doing back? I ex- explain the situation, and he just says like everything will be fine. Just thought I'd pop in.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just <to say> hi. <laughs> yeah.
0: So at the operation, come away absolutely fine. Leave it at that. I had my first CT scan uh, six months after, everything's fine. I had a second CT scan another six months later, everything's fine, there's nothing. And uh, just pre-COVID, uh, November 2019, I went for my final scan, it was my actual final CT scan, went and had it, not expecting anything, went to my 1st checkup appointment. Yeah, we found a bit of a growth in your abdomen, so... Everything starts again. Whole, the whole cat, like the whole house of cards. Everything that I'd built up, all my mental strength, all my mental resilience, just basically blown over by the wind, and I'm back to square one. January 2020, just before COVID. Luckily, fingers crossed. I'm in operation. All fairly routine. In and out within three days, and I've been fine ever since. So, and you've had scans since? Uh, scans. I've had one scan since, and that come back that come back all right I was scanned when I was in hospital and they'd basically got it all uh, doctor, uh, one of the doctors apologised to me because he said that it had always been there but they'd just missed it maybe the CT scan had picked like it was m- maybe more enlarged or something like that but yeah no I've been I've been fine ever since fucking hell yeah fucking
3: hell, fucking hell indeed That's exactly, <laughs> exactly my thinking you mentioned you, how old you say your son's the oldest of your of your kids, yes, yeah. So, how old is he through this, and how much does he know through this? Because I think that's one thing when when people are ill, they sort of will sometimes tell half a story to people.
0: Yeah, he he was eleven at the time when I got my diagnosis, and oh, uh, because of, because of his age, he was eleven, and my daughter was six. It was easy to sort of explain it to them, mm. like because they was a bit older. My youngest two were just children, like toddler and a baby, so they're not going to understand. But in hindsight, I wish I'd protected my eldest because unbeknownst to us, a year later, his his mother was going to be diagnosed with uh, a tumour in her neck. So his mental health is absolutely shot to pieces because his mum and dad had both been through cancer treatment for the age of 40 as such. So I wish, I kind of, like, looking back, I wish I'd protected him, but because he was 11 years old, I thought he's going to notice. I was going to say, you can't you can't hide yeah. the fact you're constantly in hospital and having chemo and stuff, can you? I basically put, I look like Paddy Kirk off Emmerdale when, I've, when I was going through chemo because like my hair fell out and I put about two stone of retained water on. So it was obvious and my skin went a funny colour because one of the injections that you have, it turns your skin a funny colour. So it was impossible to hide it from him. But I think sort of after guilt makes me feel mm. sorry for him because we could have protected him a bit more. But you kind of just, when you when you get diagnosed with cancer, there's no manual. Like, you don't go into a doctor's and they say, this is how you deal with it. These are the bullet points. This is what you have to do. If you've got kids, you have to tell them or you don't have mm. to tell them. The consultant said to me, it's not necessarily a bad thing what you've done because kids are resilient. They bounce back from it. But unfortunately, my eldest, he's got, obviously, with his mum and stuff like that, it's obviously stacked up and stacked up and stacked up. I mean, he's in a decent decentish place now. Like, he's... Is a lot older and he's, uh, he's finding his way in life. But uh, I do harbour a bit of guilt. And I talk about it openly now with my youngest kids. I say, like, we'll see adverts about cancer and stuff like that. And we'll say, oh, like, daddy had cancer five years ago. And they're like, all right. Because I want to get them into a place where when one of the things when I went through my treatment, I used to say to the chemo nurses, like, the adverts are so negative, like, cancer is, like, it's, it had passed the point of 50% survival by that point. And I said, like, cancer adverts need to be more positive. And I want kids to know that I've had cancer and other people have had cancer and we've beat it. I don't want them to think it's a death sentence. Because that's that, the automatic reaction, yes. isn't it? You hear the word cancer, you think. That was my rea- that was my exact reaction. Yeah. When I got told I had cancer, I was like, well, this is it. Mm. This is the I mean, end. We
3: should say as well, your experience of testicular cancer is not the normal one, is it? That's Yours, no. yours sounds like a complicated case. It's generally more straight particularly if caught early it's a lot more straightforward well, think, isn't
2: it i mean i don't want to um put words in your mouth but i was going to say that, that's kind of the underlying point that we want to make here yeah. is that actually if you suspect anything if you feel anything if you've got a worry fucking hell address it and because, the early and the because earlier the altern- the better. yeah because the alternative is it could get
0: missed or you don't do something something about it and you go through what you've gone through mm. or worse yeah the earlier the better like as soon as you find something go straight away like don't put it off And like I've said to people who have contacted me since, because I did document my chemo journey and stuff via an Instagram page. Some people who are a bit cynical accuse it of like attention seeking and stuff like that, but it wasn't, it was put out there as a document because one of the things I use social media for was to escape reality because I didn't want to be the guy at home being sick in a bucket and having cancer. I wanted to sort of externalize it. And my wife did the same. My wife reached out quite a lot on social media and just before you go any further on it, where can people find it if they want to look at your social media, by the way, Adam, sorry. It's uh, Adam's TC journey on Instagram. Uh, I haven't posted on it for ages and ages and ages. I feel like I need to put a post on it to sort of say, look, I'm still here. I'm still alive. Like, <laughs> I know, it, that, I know it's, it's five years It's there ago. as
2: a document though, isn't it? Like you say, I mean, and like yeah, the, the cynics, you know, fuck off until you've walked a mile in my shoes, quite frankly. And then... It's there for people who might
0: want to see what the reality of what you went through is. Well, the best thing about it was a few people got in contact with me, like from around the country. There was a person from America who got in contact with me and he's obviously okay now and he went through the same sort of thing. But so many people got in contact with me and said, look, I found a lump. What should I do? And I've kind of said to him, like, you need to go to GP and do not leave his office until you've got an ultrasound booked in because that's the mistake that I learned. If I'd have known then what I know now, I'd have gone to that first doctor's appointment and said, antibiotics are all right, cool, I'll take them, but I want an ultrasound. And that's the one thing I'll say to anyone. If you find anything, you go to a GP and you don't get the answer that you feel, err on the side of caution and just ask for an ultrasound. Like you can get them within sort of two or three weeks Mm -hmm. now. That's the best bit of advice I can give to you.
2: One of the things I think to tap into with this as well, because this is the Andy's Man Club show and we're talking about mental health effects as well, is that... Not only have you gone through the physical side of it, you've gone through the mental side of it as well, yeah. which, you know, anybody watching, listening will understand. I'm sure every bloke who's not been through what you've been through is started thinking, Christ, that sounds terrific. Yeah. And then there is that knock on effect of, of how you deal with it. Because I recognize something in what you said in that that moment when you were told, when, when the word cancer is used. My son was in hospital a couple of years ago. Now, he's absolutely fine. Um, he had a, a rampant infection that caused a, a liver abscess. That was a rampant infection in his appendix, but it got masked, ironically, by antibiotics. They gave him antibiotics; it hid the appendix. Right. But by this time, he's got like a lesion on his liver. And Friday the 13th. It's funny; I can remember the day as, as well myself. Sat in the hospital, and the doctor said to me, "I think this is cancer." And I can remember that moment. You know, in the films when the when the 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 camera kind of it zooms in on the person, but the background retreats. I think is it called like a focus pull. Yep. And you go, and that's what it felt like to me to that moment when the room just went like that yeah, and, it's, it's, and that's your fight or flight mechanism kicking isn't it
0: yeah it was the same with me like when I actually heard the words when I went into the office and uh, I sat down and he actually said to me you're stage 3B it's it's really serious like he was talking but I couldn't hear anything I was I was aware of my surroundings and where I was but it was that hum, 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 hum. It, everything yeah. was just muffled and I just I felt like the walls were closing in like it was it was the loneliest place in the world even though there was me a registrar a staff nurse and my wife, it just felt like the loneliest place in the world. Like, because I was walking in there expecting to be told that I had cancer. I knew it was cancer. But my wife was, as soon as she heard the words three bit, she was hysterical. Like she was crying her eyes out. Because it's on a scale of one to four, isn't it? Yeah, she was absolutely hysterical to the point where she had to lay down. And that not knowing had got worse. So the weekend after my original diagnosis, we went to centre parks and tried to carry on as normal and it was the worst thing we could have done. Like, I wish I'd stayed at home. was it, really
3: expensive home. to be <laughs> <laughs> How much? <laughs> 12 quid for a, for a pint. For a fucking pint.
0: <laughs> Tory butler, as they call it. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was the worst thing in the world because I thought I'd go there, I'd have a load of fun and I'd forget about it. But like my headspace, I'd totally zoned out. Like I'd just gone into the, my brain was just totally focused on the cancer, it had consumed me. Like the illness had consumed me. It's all I could think about. It's where, all where, where did your thoughts go to at that point? Uh, did you think about things to the end? It was, no, I wasn't really so much. Because because in my meeting, they'd said to me, we're going for the cure. I was confident enough that they would go for the cure. The worst mistakes I ever made was looking at like, starting to Google stuff. To Google, in the initial, yeah, yeah, it's the worst thing you can do. It is the worst thing you can do. Because you was looking and it, it was like, I started reading about Dylan Tombides, uh, the West Ham player who ended mm. up passing away. And I was, that was it then. Like I'd put the brakes on, but I spent all that weekend talking about it, thinking about it and looking up on the internet about it. And my life just became consumed by it. And then of course, like your various trips to hospital for like chemotherapy appointments and stuff. It's like being a professional professional athlete, basically. You're told where to be, where to go, what time to be there, what you can eat, what you can't eat, and all and all that kind of thing. Except they don't pay you twenty grand a week. Exactly. But then at the end of it all, you're just thrown out and it's like, right, we'll see you in three months. Yeah. And that's when your brain the only thing I can liken it to, it's like being on the waltzers. When you get when you first get off the waltzers, you're like hmm. a bit wobbly and you're like, what well, well what's next? Like what do I do next? Yeah. Like promotion almost. That's how <laughs> that felt.
1: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or (laughs) sleepnumber.com. To go back to the,
3: the story of kind of hearing the word my dad had, prostate cancer a couple of years ago. Something else you should check actually. Um Dro- I, think, I, two. I think I think a doctor <laughs> I think a doctor generally does that, that one. Well, I was gonna
2: say is that an invitation <laughs> <But>, Mike <Michael?" laughs> Particularly if you're a
3: if you're kind of above above like fifty, definitely get it checked because it's it's again it's one of them things that's if you catch it early, it's quite quite curable. My dad had obviously been having tests and stuff, not told me or my sister a word of this, given we're both like 40 ish should have yeah, done, should have yeah. done really, but just completely. Had, it'd been like, I'll just, I'll just uh, li- quite literally, I suppose, sit on it until I know more. <laughs> but I turned up to play golf for my dad, just on a nice, like, thinking that'll oh, be all right, bit of a knockabout. Just as we were about to see off, he went, Oh, just just so you know, I've, um, I'm probably going to be get, getting a phone call. Um, I might have cancer. And it was like, Fucking
2: hell, Dad. Oh, oh, cheers, Dad. <laughs>
3: uh, cheers. All right. Uh, it's probably going to take a bit of focus off me here, but um, yeah. <laughs> Did right, you,
2: do you want to tee off? Or? Right,
3: fucking out, <laughs> and then oh, and then course. halfway around because they actually, the phone calls happened in the wrong order. He was meant to be getting a phone call to sort of confirm yay or nay. Instead, he got a phone call out of order, which was from the hospital saying you need to come in for a bone scan. So he'd not actually Fuck. been told what was happening, but he got that, and then you sort of think, oh right, so it's it's bad then. That can't that can't be a good bit of news, can it? That, that's certainly not an all clear. Yeah. That's a we need to check if this is spread thing. But yeah, hearing those first words and you're like, oh.
2: Fuck. So, it's one so of you, those, might see
3: you might die then. It's a bit it's the like, short version of it.
2: It's like one of those other moments in your life, isn't it? Where you can still remember and be it if you've got married, that kind of... Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. And that's the same thing. that It's the fight-or-flight mechanism that, that kicks in, doesn't it? Because, like, say, your world kind of just zeroes in on where you are. It's like exam results, driving tests, any of those sorts of things, any of the significant dates that stick in your brain. It's that
0: same sensation. It's odd, because, like, me and my wife both look at my life now split into two. It's like, you know, like A, D, B, C... It's before cancer, after cancer. And it has changed me. It has changed me. I'm not going to lie. Like going through everything that I've been through, I feel a bit of a fraud saying like PTSD and stuff like that, because that's what doctors mentioned, because you fight off, like, kicks in and you, you essentially go to war with your own body. But I feel a bit of an imposter saying like PTSD because soldiers who have actually seen and done horrific things suffer from PTSD. Not me. I just went to hospital, had a cannula put in and loads of, bags of bleach pumped through me and then a few bits of surgery that's it but it has changed me like it's changed my demeanor like I was always smiling before my wife says you don't smile so much these days but one of the best things to come out of the walk last year I do find myself nowadays smiling a lot more because the distance between the diagnosis and now is getting wider and the more I forget if that makes sense like I've I've forgot a lot of stuff like I forgot it's, t- it's time being a healer isn't it yeah well yeah. I f- like one of the things uh, in between chemo and my first surgery I got a really really bad back again and I went to the GP and he said to me like because of the illness that you've had we need to rule out MSCC which is metastatic spinal cord compression a lot of breast cancer patients suffer from it and I spent all day set up at the hospital and I just like me and my wife had to have an awkward conversation where we were both in tears and I just said look if it has spread to my spine I'm just going to let it take me because I'm not having, I says, I'm not going through chemo and all that lot again. I said, like, I can't physically do it. So I have my, uh, I have my scan that day and my wife, she has to go home. She had to go home. She was like, I can't hang around here anymore. This is horrific. Like she said, I'm just, I'm no good to anyone. So I get the results from my MRI scan, which I had to restart three times because I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> so... They are very small the tubes. <laughs> yeah, they, are easy you, as well. they are when you're my size as well. And uh, she come in and she went, oh, it's bad news, I'm afraid. The doctor. And I was like, again, choose your words carefully. Say, say it in a Everything. more sympathetic voice. <laughs> she walks in, she went, it's bad news, I'm afraid. And I went, all oh, right. And she goes, you've got a slip disc. And I was like, fucking get in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what it was like. I was like, I was I was tired, no, tired no, no. Elliot up the corridor. <laughs> and she was like, what? And this I said, is great. I, I said, I thought I had spinal cord cancer. She went, Oh, no, no, you've not got spinal cord cancer. And I'm just I was old, like, brilliant. I was like, thank God for that. <laughs> like, I've never been so pleased to get a slip disc in my entire life. <laughs> I right. rang my wife. I was like, I've got a slip disc. And she was like, brilliant, come home, I'm starving. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that, that
2: was that. <laughs> Lay down, take some paracetamol back kind of <laughs> Yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, going back, right, right back to the start of all this, like you were saying like one of the first steps was after you got out of the bath and you examined yourself was speaking to your wife. And I think... When we've spoken about like the mental health stuff in the, in the previous months and one of the themes that's kind of come out of that is when people are struggling, one of the hardest things is to take that first step and tell someone. Did you find that difficult
0: at all to tell no. your wife or was that just, an, it felt like an automatic reaction for you? No, it was just an automatic reaction because we've got quite a good relationship. Uh, our relationship falls down when we don't communicate and 95% of the time we do communicate like really well. She'll tell me fears, I'll tell her my fears and stuff like that. So it was easy enough. Like straight away, I just went downstairs and I was like, I found a lump and she was like, all right. And she tried having a goat feeling as well, but she couldn't feel it. Any excuse, et cetera. Well, y- y- you, know. you kind of know your own body and I yeah, knew yeah, yeah. I knew what I was feeling for. But she's like, the lesson she's learned from mine is she examines herself all the time. But it was just, it was just a case, of, like we, we talked all the way through, all the way through my treatments and everything. She'd asked me if I'm fine is there anything you want? Is there anything you need? Like she was, she was absolutely brilliant. But when we don't communicate, that's, that's when the that's when we start to, cause my wife had a bit of a health scare, uh, six months ago. She was, uh, she was having a few problems with like cysts on her ovaries and stuff like that. And at one point she thought she was going to be diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So it was like, I'd be at work putting on a brave face. And when I say brave face, I mean, crying on my steering wheel, thinking she's going to get diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And it is scary. It is scary. But part of that is conditioned because of my illness. Because I've had cancer. My wife automatically thinks I'm going to get cancer. Like, she's going to get cancer. So she, you initially fear the worst. Rather than sort of go down the route, you hear it and it's like, or you feel something and it's like, well, it's cancer, in it? Like, it's my turn. Because there is kind of that,
2: I think as blokes we often do have that kind of gallows humour about, you know, yeah. about these sorts of things, don't you? Like you, you don't go to the doctor for years and years and you go, oh, well, probably, you know, wake up one day and then I'll, I'll be told I'm, I'm terminally ill kind of thing. And then we get a bit dark. I think that's, it's like a coping mechanism for our avoidance techniques, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's it as well. Cause like, uh, I've always kind of used humour as a sort of defence mechanism as well to kind of deflect. But uh, yeah, it wasn't funny. <laughs> it no. was not funny. I'll be honest, it doesn't sound it. Um, nah, nah. To, to be honest and in among all that when your daughter's
2: born you're one of the happiest moments of your life and you're going through hell I think that's why when you're talking about the
0: PTSD I thought that's that's what the trauma is yeah yeah I feel a lot of guilt with my youngest because uh, she missed out on a lot like the first six months of her life were just sl- asleep in my arms on the corner of the settee because we couldn't go anywhere doing it. that's, all, that's all babies do it's fine but she I missed out on so much I missed I missed out on a lot when she was born like uh, the first sort of six months of a life, because I was going through so, like I was going through so much, and I was spending time away from him. Like I spent sort of eight days away from him when I had my initial operation, mm-hmm. my double operation, and like I, I harbour a lot of guilt because I missed a lot of the stuff growing up, and mainly because I was absent mentally. Like i I'd tapped out. Like my illness had consumed my life. It was the first thing I thought about in the morning to so the last thing I thought about when I went to sleep. And I look back now, and I think I wish I could have been happier then. I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have been more present for the kids. You're here now, from the
3: yeah. Which if you if you hadn't been away for those eight days. You're not here now, are you? So
0: yeah, but sometimes with an eight and six-year-old, you walk in from work and you just want to put your back down and walk back out again because <laughs> you hear them tearing lumps out of each other.
2: I was going to say they're not considering that in their day-to-day
0: life, are they? That uh, you went through hell and you know you missed bits. They're just kind of getting on with being kids. But I'm kind of I'm kind of glad because they're bulletproof. They don't know anything. Whereas I look at my elder two and mm. they know more about it. They they were sort of more present, so they know like the effect it's had. And they've they've both seen people go through cancer treatment since. But like I say, it's all about breaking a stigma. It's like, it's not a death sentence, especially testicular cancer. It is pretty much now 100% curable if caught early.
3: And you're at an advantage because they're on the outside. You can check them easily. It's not, you can't, yeah. you can't check yourself for lung cancer, can you? And, but it's, it's...
0: and it's easy to do as well. It is easy to do. Like once a month, twice a month, get a hot bath, get everything hanging <laughs> as, as weightless as possible. And, you can, and genuinely you can feel it. You just roll your testicles around in between your thumb and your forefingers and you can feel it. It is easy to spot and it is noticeable to find because it should be flat. It should be smooth. But if there's a slight lump there, you will find it. Yeah. You will find it. we am getting into
2: anatomy here and by I'm, I am by no means a doctor, but there are tubes and stuff attached.
3: You are, you are an amateur though. You are an amateur doctor, I would say. You're like, you're, you're, you know. <laughs> As we say about the professional
2: one, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, we we're yeah, we're all, all got to give it a go, isn't it? Bottle <laughs> of rum and then off you go. But yeah, like, like th- there are tubes attached to your testicles that connect everything up as well. So you can expect to find them there um, yeah. if you're examining. And I only say this because as a result of hearing your story, like, you know, I didn't know you prior to prior to the walk, but uh, having heard your story over the course of us doing the walk and since, because we're all in a big WhatsApp group, aren't we? Which yeah. is great. And we've spoken really openly and been really vulnerable about all the stuff that's come up in various aspects of all our lives. I always checked, but it's made me refocus and just do it with that little bit more diligence and read up and look out for what I'm looking for. And that's what I know about, like, that the tubes are down
0: there. Yeah, yeah, everything. Like, one of the biggest things on the walk, I had a, I, I had my allotted an hour and a half with Phil Hay, because everyone got so many times <laughs> with it, after, outside of his earphones time. But <laughs> uh, we had a pretty brutal conversation about, like, treatments and stuff like that and, like, the treatment that I'd received and the treatment that he'd had. And I was walking along thinking christ i've had it easy compared to him like he's telling me he was borderline nicholas cage and john travolta like face being removed and stuff and i was just like wow this is insane this is insane like i've i've and it's made me check my own mental health because i th- I sit there and i think well, there's there's a lot i mean i've never thought that nobody's had it worse than me because i'm not that type of person but then i just i, I had that conversation and i was like wow like Phil took it in his
3: stride remarkably, I have to say. When we were talking about it, it was just unbelievable. Like,
0: Phil, the taking a circular sort
3: of fucking idiot. <laughs> Why are you not more worried? Yeah. But I think it. maybe that maybe that was his
2: way of dealing with it, though. I think just to be like, well, I mean, it needs think, to come out. I mean, does that resonate with you in the sense that when you're on this particular path, it's either walk it or, well, you've got no choice. I mean, this is the point. You've got to just walk the walk the path and see where it takes you. And and that's I guess that's the, the when we draw back in on the message you're trying to get across. It it's not a death sentence. Is that? walk that path, and the chances are
0: the outcome will be a positive one, but you've, you've still got to just put one foot in front of the other and get through to the other side of it. Yeah, essentially it's just catching it early, it's just catching it early and getting as much information together as possible, as early as possible, and it's amazing what they can do, like even serious cancers nowadays and stuff like that, like there's treatments out there, like you hear of cases where they make miraculous uh, miraculous recoveries and stuff like that and, and, it, and it's amazing, like don't don't feel a lump and think, oh, well, that's it, my time's up. So I may as well ignore it. Because John Hartson, John Hartson, if you, he's, mm. open, he's openly documented and he, he left it and left it and left it and left it to the point he got brain tumours. That's when it starts getting touch and go. That's when it starts getting really iffy. I'll say to anyone, do not let it get that bad. Like you find something, you feel something, listen to your body because so, your body will tell you. a so young man's
3: cancer as well, isn't it? Testicular cancer. Yeah. So if you've got testicles, check them.
0: <laughs> I'd, I'd never heard of anyone Up until six months before I got my diagnosis, because someone I actually know from my local rugby club, uh, he kept it quiet, but he'd been diagnosed. I went out for a cycle ride with him uh, about three months before my battle started. And he was like, oh yeah, I've been having chemotherapy for testicular cancer. So I I confided in him a lot in my early days because I knew he'd been through it. But then when it got to the stage I'd finished chemo, like he'd finished chemo and that was the end point. And he was like, Well, I can't do it to help you now, mate. Like, <laughs> I've, I've got no more knowledge on the situation. So, I am guess what I'm trying to do is document the knowledge that's in my head, put it out here. And then, if anyone is struggling, they can sit and watch this, they can sit and listen to it well, and get all the because, Well, let
2: me just say, based on the, pre- the previous episodes that we've done, we did one about money where we spoke about debt. And uh, I know from speaking to Ollie, who is with Andy's Man Club and looks after a whole bunch of the the meetings on a Monday that one lad at one of the meetings walked in off the basis of seeing the show before because he was struggling with debt. So if it does, I mean, it's, it's such a cliche, but if it does help one person, it's been worth sitting down and, and doing this, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And if it like, I know a lot of people struggle financially when they get diagnosed with cancer and stuff like that, because it does change. It changed my life a lot because I went from working a job where I did loads of overtime and uh, call-out shifts and stuff like that. So I used to get paid a lot of money extra, like two two £250 a week extra, and all of a sudden my money dropped down to sort of sick pay levels. And there is a lot of worry, and it took about four months to come through, but there is help out there. Like, there, there is. Uh, it's like PIP, they do help you, and the, the mechanisms are there to protect you. Like, they try and help you. Macmillan as well, Macmillan gave us a grant for me to buy. It, it sounds daft, but to just to buy clothing. To, just to help me, we got a grant for 500 pounds to buy extra blankets or clothing or, to be honest with you, I'd probably use 300 quid of it to set kids to butlings to give them a bit of life. And you're entitled to do that. They, say, they specifically say to you, do what you want with it, but don't pay bills. And that was brilliant because why should the kids suffer? Like, I was suffering enough sort of going through my treatment and my illness, but I wanted to give them something like a bit of happiness, even though... I'm the fun sponge stood in the corner with no hair and a baseball cap on with Factor 50 because I can't catch the sun. But they're having the time of their lives. It sounds like Michael on every holiday. <laughs>
2: <interesting>. <laughs> I get a very nice tan on all as well. You know? <laughs> yeah, God, this. I was going to ask you about masculinity as well because bollocks are tied into masculinity in many ways. It defines us, doesn't it, as men. And you think like, somebody hacking away at your equipment is going to ha- somehow maybe make you less of a man. How did you deal with that
0: aspect of it? Was there any, ever any kind of question of that in your mind? It's really odd. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned this, actually, because when I had my testicle actually taken off, the doctor said to me, your opposite te- testicle will overcompensate to balance your testosterone level. But my wife was fuming with me for that two-week period because you become a... It's almost like menopausal woman. You've got no filter. And... I was just like brutally honest with people. And I was just like, like to the point of it being a cantankerous old grandma. So
2: why is that? Is that overproduction of testosterone
0: then? Yes. Right. It's to, it's to maintain your testosterone levels inside your body. So it overcompensates. It's basically like a kidney. Yeah. And I, and my wife was just like, you need to shut up. And it got to the stage where that in that two week period, she wouldn't take me to anyone. Cause I'd be like, that coat, shit, what are you wearing that for? <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was just one of them. Isn't it funny how it can affect your behavior like that? Cause I, I did have a kind of a, yeah, you because know, there's
2: been some heavy stuff we've spoken about in this in this chat. I was going to ask a question that probably invited a one-word answer. But have you bollocks ever got you in trouble? Um, <laughs> and to be fair, the answer obviously is yes. Uh, and but you're giving a very specific example about like just going around insulting people.
0: Yeah, that's it. well. That, say men, men think with their uh, bits, like and as I always say, mine tried to kill me. <laughs> a, a t-shirt on, don't mind me. I've had my bollock removed. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Proud uni baller. But yeah, but in terms of like having a testicle removed, is that just you're like, well, it needed to go because
0: it was a problem, or how how do you view that now? It felt weird at first. I'm not gonna lie, but I can sit with my legs crossed properly now. Yeah. I couldn't do that before. But uh, they did offer me a prosthetic, and I just I. To be honest with you, it doesn't matter whether they say yes or no. I I don't really notice it now, but they said to me, you can have a process if you want, but it'll heighten the risk of infection. And I just thought, I'm not like... Let's not have anything else. Yeah, yeah. No, just for the sake of it. Like, yeah.
2: I'm married now, no one's going
0: near it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Poor kids anyway. <laughs> Christ, put the telly on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Harry Kane. I actually commented on his post the other day and said, you need to buy a telly, mate. Can I ask a really daft question? Yeah, go. To go. get to see it. After
3: they no, it, you don't
0: no, get to, I'd love to. I thought they might bring you it in a jar. I'd love to have seen no, it. No, it was straight off. It actually got tested in Leeds. It actually got tested at uh, St. James's Hospital in Leeds, one of the university hospitals. But I'd love to have seen inside it. I, uh, I'm not proud of this, but I did actually Google uh, testicles post-testicular cancer just to see anything. But there was only animal one. Uh, without <laughs> being like too gruesome. I was just intrigued to see it. But no, to be honest, on the ultrasound, you could, you could clearly see the lesion mm. and it, when I got my final letter through to say like the, they call it an embryo weirdly. And uh, it was to say that it was that size. It was like really alarming. It was really alarming. I have got a photograph of my testicle attached at its biggest, but uh, it's just there as a reminder (laughs) to show how far I've come. And as we wrap it up then, how are you now? Headspace, health overall. Yeah, I'm absolutely fine. Uh, May i my wife we still communicate on a daily basis and we tell each other's fears. there's obviously always the nagging doubt there that something like a secondary could come back or anything but I'm just at the stage now where like I'm just living my life I'm just I'm getting on with it and if and if I get thrown back into that battle again I just I know exactly what to do this time Uh, me and my wife did actually have a conversation yesterday where we said like we were talking about my illness because obviously I'm coming on here today and and she just said like we're a lot better equipped this time to deal with anything than we were last time because we've got the uh, the knowledge of last time. Yes, it's the me. fear of the unknown, is it? You, you kind of, you overcome that as you progress through this. And that's what I want to do. Like if, if people ever reach out to me, which some like a few people have, is emptying my head into their hands so they can kind of know how to deal with it. It's pointless me keeping it all in my head. Mm. It's put put it out there and getting people checking themselves. It's not right that survival rates are dropping. You can't just solely blame it on one thing. It takes a lot of failing mechanisms to to a dropped four percent in a, in sort of three years. But we can do our bit by staying on top of it ourselves. We being us men, yeah, definitely. Like it's awkward conversations. Like I want you to go home tonight and check yourself. I want you to check yourself end of the week. Like it's just conversations I'll,
2: I'll be doing it before you leave this bloody room. Believe me, I will. <laughs> we'll I will. make sure
0: I've gone first. <laughs> 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 you mentioned McMillan
3: there are there any other organisations that helped while you were going through this That are just for other people who may be at an early stage or whatever who might want some help
0: Yeah, there's a charity called Balls to Cancer and they offer they've got caravans by the coast and they offer holidays for patients who are going through cancer treatment if, they, if they've got no kids they can go just for a break to get away from everything if they've got kids they can take the kids uh McMillan helped with a grant. I'm sure they still do the grant now. It's roughly about five hundred pounds, but you're not allowed to spend it on bills. It's mainly for like clothing. Uh, I say but people need five hundred quid to pay for their energy bills now. But it's to pay for like blankets and hoodies and or, clothes. Oh respite as it was in your case, just a bit of something to get away from home to go to butlins or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's uh there's mechanisms in place for, through the government where if you haven't got a car or anything like that, then you get a It's like Disability Living Allowance. They actually pay it to get you a car to ensure you get to your uh, appointments because our car blew up about three months into my treatment. So we ended up having to get one via Disability Living Allowance. People commented on it because we got a brand new car. But it was ensuring that I got to my appointments. It it was ensuring I got to my uh, medical appointments to to hospitals because... The amount of times I've drove up the M62 to Leeds and back to St. James's. Because it's not local for you, is it, particularly Leeds? No, it's about an hour, an hour and five minutes drive. And obviously all the time I was in hospital, my wife was coming to visit me and stuff like that. And to be fair to her, she would come over and say, because there's a hotel at St. James's, so she'd come over and stay and then drive me home. But uh, no, there are mechanisms in place. That basically, it's all there to keep the roof over your head and to keep you safe. Basically, and to get through it until you're in a
2: position where you can just get back back out and work again, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. It took me a while to get back into work because obviously I've told you about like the gaps in between my operations and stuff like that. I was actually by the time I'd gone for my final operation, I was well back in work. But that that sort of brief fifteen month, sixteen month period, like you say, brief.
2: It's not brief when you when yeah. you got bills to pay. Christ.
0: Well, I had my old boss coming around my house saying. When you think you're back at work, kid, and then I was like, oh, I've just been told I need the operation, but I meant I had mentally, I'd put the mechanisms back in place to go back to work, and then it all sort of come, all sort of come crumbling down. But one of the things I found during my counselling was finding, the, always finding the positive within the negative. So the negative of me being off work and having all that cancer treatment, the positive was I got to see my wife and kids every day. I got to spend loads of time with them, and I got to go to the park every day, or when it was warm, go to the, uh, the splash park and everything. So that's finding the positive within the negative. Obviously, I wake up some days and my mental health's in the gutter, and it's it's a daily grind. But that's one day a month now, whereas before that was maybe one day a week. And of course, Andy's Man Club show as well. If you need someone to talk to and
2: just someone to unload on, it's there for you every Monday.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Andy's Man Club is suicide prevention, and my biggest mental health flaw is the fear of dying. Like I said, one of the things I said to my wife during my treatment was I don't want to be the picture on the wall. I don't want to be the picture the kids look at and call daddy. And that's what used to upset me the most. So the fear of dying is horrendous. Like it's the worst feeling in the world, but it's all interlinked because the fear of dying pushes you into a place where you think, oh, there's no point in me being anymore. There's no point in me doing all this. And I had that, I actually had that conversation with my wife waiting for an MRI scan. I said, if it is in my spine, I'm just letting it take me. I'd given up. I'd given up. And I'm not saying I was in a position where I was suicidal at that point, but I had mentally given up, I'd tapped out, like I, d- I just didn't care anymore. And that that's the hardest part. Like I look back on that and I've been, like when we did the walk last year, I spoke to so many people who had been in such bad places mentally and like failed suicide bids and stuff like that. And I just think, like there's so much to live for. And one of the best things about that chat group is we all unload, we all like, there's no eyes and graces. Like on the morning of, the Oldham leg of the walk after I'd seen the bloke with the slashed arm. Oh Christ, I forgot about that, yeah. I got a bit emotional. I got back a, to, just, to,
3: just to explain this. Knife, it was a bit of
0: knife crime.
2: Wasn't
3: it? <laughs> yeah, there was whether it was the same event or connected to it or something, but they had, there was a murder in Oldham the day we stayed there on the walk. You saw a bloke at like seven in the morning,
0: bleeding. Yeah, asking me where Drolsden was. But I got <laughs> back to the room and I had a proper wobble because I felt so far from home. And I was still essentially surrounded by strangers. Like I'd I'd met sort of maybe five or six people on the walk who I'd got really pally with, and one of them who I was sharing a room with he got in bed with me, spooned up to me, and just said like, "I know you're missing your wife and kids, but everything'll be all right." So I love that. Put put, put the shoes on, walked in an easterly direction, and just got on with it. And I was fine. I was absolutely fine. But like them wobbles always happen. i because I was wobbling, I thought because my wife is my main security blanket, she's she's my go-to and I was just like, she's not here. What am I going to do? And I just, I could feel myself crumbling and then obviously I got spooned and everything was all right again. What an image to finish.
2: Thank you for telling us your story as well. It will simultaneously, I think, frighten people. I think it will also inspire people and hopefully most of all, the point of all this was to get people just to check and check and act early if there's anything that you that you're worried about and to reiterate what you were saying about the um the ultrasound as well don't take no for an answer it's, it's your body you know best and push because it could just save your life
0: yeah this is it always get a second opinion if if you feel like you're leaving a doctor's office and you haven't got all the answers look elsewhere there's mechanisms in place where you can just say get a second opinion from someone ask to see a different gp because some GPs I mean GPs the answers in the title general practitioner they do what they can but until you actually look inside your body you don't know what's going off so get someone to look inside you and then start rolling stuff out start at the worst rather than start at the least worst and uh, hopefully this show proves as well that that talking about stuff
2: destigmatizes it talking is exactly what Andy's Man Club is all about and we're really pleased to support him so hopefully you've got something out of watching this show listening to it and I feel like I need to lie down and know, bloody out! And get your get your hands on your balls as well as soon as you do it. Andy'smanclub.co.uk as well if you want to find your local um, your local group every Monday with the exception of, uh, of bank holidays seven till nine. And um, yeah, anything final to say then before before we head off? And I think we all have have a big exhale.
0: I feel like that's what I need most of all. I'm glad you're still here. Thank you. It's, <laughs> uh, it, I'm glad to still be here because one of the things I thought about during my treatment was I'll never see Leeds play Premier League football again, <laughs> and then I got to see it. And Although, it was beautiful. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's hard at the minute because my uh, my eight year old boy, who I brought to football. You saw him that day, and uh, he's just Messi Ronaldo, Messi Ronaldo, and it's like the rubbish. But I've, he's got a sticker book now, so I'm trying to uh, gradually wean him off the guide <laughs> him into the right direction. Yeah, keep fighting the good fight, Adam. Thanks for coming in. No worries, thank you. The Square Ball Podcast.